This week we're talking about saying sorry and it's on that wonderful but necessary path to freedom in Christ is actually to, to confess, to say sorry, to let go of the things where we, 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 we fall short and where we need to be free in Christ and we're going to be talking about what that means, that confession into freedom uh, this morning. Let me just read one verse before we, we start this morning. Um, which is in our reading today and it's what Caroline's going to be preaching on later. And it's, it's that confidence that when we come to him, uh, he will respond. This is from 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So it's the promise that as we come, he will be faithful and he will respond. And now hopefully we're going to have the video clip. Saying sorry is part of our acknowledgement that in our lives we mess up, we go wrong, we fall short of our own standards, let alone of God's. There's something fundamentally flawed in the way we often behave. It's not the whole of prayer. It's not just about beating ourselves up, but it is... For many people, saying sorry seems a really strange thing to do. And I know people who have said, I never say sorry, never apologize, never explain, is a well-known phrase in politics. Why should we want to live back through, in our relationship with God, the things we've done wrong? Why should we want to bring them back up to the surface? Many of us just want to shove them away and as much as possible forget them. And yet for all of us, there are those moments where we know we've gone wrong. It could be small things. It could be something really, really serious. What do we do with that? Well, I used a word a moment ago that expresses our need to say sorry it's the word relationship relationships are based on transparency on integrity on honesty on the sense that what you see is what you get and when we go wrong when we do things that hurt another person alone when we do what the bible calls sinning going wrong making wrong choices it puts a curtain up in the relationship. Most of us will know the feeling where there's a friend or a partner or someone you know well where you've been a bit irritable, you've said the wrong thing and somehow there's a bit of distance between you. There's a barrier. The Bible, particularly in Genesis 3, sets out a picture of human beings as having really a fatal flaw. And the flaw is putting themselves in the middle of everything and not God. And that shows itself in self-will, in selfishness, in self-reliance, in all kinds of ways in which self gets to be on top and God gets fitted into a corner or an edge 
and doesn't lead and be over everything. That's quite a serious problem because it expresses itself not only in our relationship with God, it expresses itself in relationships with other people. When it's me, 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 when I put self on top, it's not only that I put a barrier between myself and God, I also put a barrier between myself and other people. I'll make choices that are about what's good for me, not what's good for other people or good good for all of us. Now, in one sense, people might say, well, that's life. We're all a bit like that. Why does it matter? And it matters because when it mounts up and mounts up and mounts up, we end up isolated, guilty. We've done things wrong. So how do you deal with that in prayer? The reading is from 1 John, chapter 1, verse 5, to chapter 2, verse 2. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, full and just, and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is the word of the Lord. Good, so here we are this week looking at saying sorry and confessing. Confessing to where we've gone wrong. Um, as the, the familiar phrase goes, in thought, in words, or in deed. And I have to tell you, I have to confess, I have been quite worried about this sermon. Um, I've been thinking that you know, saying sorry and confessing is so much at the heart of our Christian faith. You know, what is it that I can possibly share this morning that is going to be new or is going to not feel like it's you know, very familiar territory? What can I possibly say that the Archbishop uh, can't say better? But when I was thinking about it, I was thinking that you know, maybe picking up old and familiar territory and going over it again is of real value. Maybe there's something very precious here in doing that. Um, I work in development, as many of you know, personal development, leadership development, organisational development. And one of the ideas that I've come across that I, I really love is this concept that development and personal growth is not linear. Um, it's more maybe of a spiral. So this idea that when we grow, we pick up parts of our life experience or parts of ourselves and we look at them, um, we, we change them, we develop them, we refine them. 
Um, but we don't necessarily do that in a linear way. And once we've ticked it off, we're on to the next thing and that's never to be seen again. Actually, sometimes in our lives, we come back around to the same thing, the same pattern, the same experience in our life from the, uh, from the past, the same um, aspects of ourselves. We circle back around to it, but actually we circle back around to it differently. Um, we've been here before, but we know it differently and we travel. And so our development is like a spiral rather than a linear path. And um, as the, the poet, uh, poet T.S. Eliot says, we shall not cease from exploring. And at the end of all of our exploring, we'll be able to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. So maybe, going back to the old familiar things, uh, but going back to them with experience, a bit more perspective, helps us keep spiralling in our journey of growth. And so it is with the topic of saying sorry. Perhaps this isn't something that we do once when we first come into relationship with God, and then we've mastered it. Perhaps as we grow and mature in our faith, we return to it again and again. And each time we know it differently. We come back to it as for the first time. So that's my prayer today, that what I have to offer might be a bit of a provocation to look at something that's familiar, that's um, familiar territory to you, and to look at it as if for the first time. So it seems to me that the act of sorry... Saying sorry requires us to do three things, conveniently all beginning with the letter A. Uh, my father is um, a, a teacher and a preacher, and I've learned much from him over the years. And he never fails to find some alliteration every time he does a sermon. So I felt I ought to honour him today. So three A's. The first act is to acknowledge. We need to acknowledge where we've fallen short, in thought, in word or deed. We have to recognise and perceive that we have misstepped and we have sinned. Um, this, for some of us, is the hardest work, is actually to perceive it and acknowledge it. The second act is then to apologise, is to um, actually use that awareness. Once we have an awareness, we have a choice. So we can choose to apologise, to be honest, to lay it out, to set it down. And the third act, to accept, to accept forgiveness. As Nick read earlier, we have really solid promises in the Bible and we see it in our passage today. He is faithful and just and he will forgive our sins. This isn't a maybe. It's not contingent on kind of how bad was this particular sin on the scale of sins? Am I going to be forgiven? Actually, it's a simple and a deep truth. He's faithful, he's just and he will forgive. So that's it, three A's. Acknowledge, apologise, and accept. Pondering on it, it struck me that perhaps these, these are more nuanced than, than uh, they may first seem. Perhaps this is a process of those three A's, but perhaps there's more to it, which helps us through it or makes us stumble. And it raised another few questions, and I thought I'd share those with you. The first question was, it raised for me a question of identity. So how do we perceive of ourselves and our relationship with God? And how does that influence our capacity to do these three things? The second question, a question of consequence. What is the consequences of not saying sorry? Third question, sorry make possible. And the fourth question, very simply a question of practice. How do we do it? So I wanted to talk through those with you this morning. 
So the first question, this question of identity, how does the way that I perceive of myself and I perceive of God, how does that impact my capacity to come to him and to lay things down and to ask for forgiveness? It's really true, isn't it, that we're all different, we're very, very different types of people and therefore it's not unusual or surprising that we will have a different concept of ourselves and God. Perhaps some of us are the kind of people that think, you know, fundamentally I'm okay, I am acceptable, I'm lovable, I am forgivable, I do understand that his grace is available for me and I can claim that. Perhaps I'm the kind of person that I feel that now I'm in relationship with God. Perhaps some of us are different from that. Maybe we have a much, much harsher inner critic on our shoulder. And that that critic is reminding us that we're not okay. Reminding us of our shame, of our guilt, of the things that we believe that maybe we're not lovable. Maybe actually it's not possible for us to be forgiven. God seems more difficult to access, harder to connect with. We want to walk in the light, but we're very aware of the power of the darkness. Those are two possible ways that we might um, find ourselves in relationship with God. There are probably many, many more. But for me, these different stances are about identity. Do we feel forgivable? Do we feel acceptable? Do Do we believe the promise of this passage is for us? Do we feel essentially we're okay or we're not okay? And of course the way we feel will be influenced by the life experiences we've had, the things that we've learned along the way. And it's worth each one of us noticing our own pattern with this because we're all different. For me, as I've been reflecting, I've come to realise that having been a Christian for many years, I've come to a place of security in my relationship with God. So what I think for me the challenge is, is that I take this process of saying sorry a bit lightly because of that security. I'm not sure that I'm always careful to pause and actually acknowledge what I need to say sorry for. I can readily acknowledge the big things where it's obvious that I've stepped over the mark or I've sinned. But actually, if I'm honest, I'm not sure I take a regular inventory of the litany of small things in my thinking, in my speaking, in my living. I assume that forgiveness is there because I feel I am approachable and God will love me. And so maybe it's made me a bit lazy with this particular practice of prayer. In contrast to this, though, I have a dear friend who thinks that they are, there is so much wrong with them that it isn't worth approaching God because there's too much getting in the way. Later in Justin Welby's talk, he talks about the German um, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, an amazing theologian, living in the time of the emergence of Nazi Germany. And Bonhoeffer talks about the risk of cheap grace. This is the, of, uh, the assumption of forgiveness that runs so deep that we don't care to stop and ask forgiveness. There's no need to acknowledge the wrongdoing because we just know of the grace of God. This is a powerful challenge to uh, people like myself, maybe, who have that strong sense of identity with God that I think it's okay. It's okay, I'm forgiven. So our identity and how we consider ourselves in relation to God plays a part here in informing how we are able to acknowledge, to apologise and to accept. The second question then, the question of consequence. What is the impact of not confessing to God? And in the passage we see John state this very, very clearly. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. 
And then if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So John's not messing around here. He, pre- he presents this in very straightforward terms of light and darkness and lying. It's, no, it's not one or the other. There's no in-between. If we don't acknowledge our sin, he makes us out to be liars. Significantly, though, more than he makes, we make ourselves out to be liars, we make God out to be li- a liar. Because God states that we are sinful and we short, fall short. That is the act of Jesus, is to make... Uh, make that bridge for us. So if we claim to be without any sin, we make him out to be a liar. As Justin Welby put it, and Nick so beautifully illustrated with his Spider-Man mask, um, uh, sinning builds this barrier between us and God. So with every act of not recognising or acknowledging what we've done wrong, in thought or word or deed, we're reinforcing that barrier a little bit more our relationship with God gets that little bit more disconnected. Perhaps we start not to realise that it's less and less light. It's a bit more shadowy. It's a bit gloomier. It's getting darker. Welby challenges us, as we heard, that one of our human tendencies is to put ourselves first rather than to put God first. And with this mindset, there's a real genuine risk, isn't there, that we just slowly, slowly build that barrier. We slowly reinforce it. We slowly strengthen it. And of course... We can see this in our human relationships as well. When we put ourselves front and centre continually, when we don't make amends, when we know something's not well between us, when we don't directly face that uncomfortable moment where we need to apologise, something comes between us and the person or the people that we have wronged. And then it gets harder. It gets harder to do it. And then what happens is we, whether consciously or subconsciously, we reinforce it by a whole, whole range of things that help us, consciously or subconsciously, feel okay about our position. So once we start building the barrier, we then tend to reinforce it and make sure that we feel okay about it. So this is an ongoing work. We've received forgiveness and we're fundamentally able to be in relationship with God, but we need to continue to clear the barriers that we construct. It's evolving. As in any relationship, it's evolving and it's alive, so it's never done. We need to keep the work of clearing. Some of you might know about the 12-step programs. I think these programs are incredible. I think they're life-changing for so many The first nine steps provide a very rigorous process that people work through when they're facing up to their addiction. Let me read um, a few of these steps to you. Step four, make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Step five, admit to God, to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Step six, be entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And step seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Interesting. It's the final three steps are sometimes informally known as the maintenance steps. And these are things to do regularly once you are up and running with the programme. Step ten says continued to take a personal inventory when we were wrong and promptly admitted it. So we see in the 12-step programs this deep understanding that the work of acknowledging, apologising and accepting is crucial. 
we are in exactly the same territory. We're clearing the barrier between us and God. So to our third question then, the question of possibility. What is the impact of doing this and being forgiven? Well, for me, this is that wonderful feeling of the light returning, uh, the light rushing back in, and that sense of relief. Relief that I can put down the things that limit me, the things that bind me, the things that shadow me, the things that I feel shame about. As it says in the passage, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. And don't we know this well in our human relationships? Having that experience where you have been in a place where you've wronged someone and you've apologised, somehow that relationship with them feels stronger as a result, doesn't it? We've been through something, we've been through a difficult moment and we've found ourselves able to get through to the other side. This is the power of rupture and repair. And the repair brings us fresh eyes, a fresh way of looking at that person, and a fresh love. Like If you know that about me and you've forgiven me, then I love you differently and I love you more for it. It's fresh. But this is interesting in the passage. Uh, let's just look at that verse again. He is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and he will purify us. So God's response is very, very active. He doesn't just say, that's okay and don't do it again. His response is to forgive and to purify. He is active in healing, cleansing, restoring, build us. That's what he does when we say sorry. I was reminded of that lovely hymn, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, Forgive Our Foolish Ways. Reclothe us in our rightful mind, in deeper praise, in deeper reverence praise, sorry, in deeper pra- In purer lives thy service find, in deeper reverence praise. This is the power of saying sorry. We go deeper. Deeper reverence praise, pure. It's about going deeper in our relationship. We go deeper if, to quote the 12 steps, we take a fearless moral inventory and if we are prompt to apologise. It does require a real focus, though, on that third A, the acceptance. He promises to forgive and he promises to purify, but we need to receive it, don't we? We need to receive it. We may judge ourselves harshly for falling short of our expectations of ourselves, but we do need to let it go when we have brought it to him. And I wonder if for some of us that might be the biggest challenge, to let it go and to receive And so to the final question, given that I didn't think I had much to say, you'll realise I had plenty to say. Uh, Our final question then, which is the question of practice. How do we do this? I think probably across here, across our congregation, we'll have loads of creative ideas of how to apologise and how to accept forgiveness uh, and how to get into a regular rhythm of doing this. But I had some thoughts, some simple thoughts. Of course, we need to take time to build this into our personal relationship with God, our personal prayer. Justin Wilby, later in the same clip, he suggests to take time to write it out, to write out what we need to um, ask for, to speak it out, and then to burn the paper. And I love that, because the writing is a very explicit acknowledgement, the speaking out is an explicit apology, and the burning of the paper is an explicit act of acceptance, it's gone. 
And I was thinking, well, I walk the dog. Maybe I could pick up a stick and I could think, this is the thing that I want to apologise for and throw away. But then I realised that my dog will pick up the stick and bring it straight back. <laughs> so that's not going to do the same job, I don't think. But perhaps we can find a way of personally weaving this into our prayer time. Perhaps we can do this deliberately in our prayer with others. I meet regularly with two other people in the church to pray, and I love our little prayer trio. Um, And what I notice is when we gather together, actually we don't give any time for confession. Um, We pray earnestly um, in thanksgiving and in petition. But actually this made me thoughtful about maybe we could take time to pause and confess together. Not to go through all the gory details of the things we want to confess out, you know, and share, share that publicly, but to give some time to just mark it and confess and receive acceptance together. It seems to me there's the work of taking a regular inventory of our daily thoughts and words and actions. And then there are other times where we sin which are actually more specific or more significant for us or for others more significant barriers between us and God. And perhaps those moments need a particular process to acknowledge, apologise and accept. Why don't we talk about it with other people? Why don't we share, celebrate as the psalmist did, saying as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Amen.